the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. I just know in my own life that when I give, and again, I'm saying this as a personal reference point, okay, this, you don't have to be convicted by this at all. I just believe that when I give, when we give, when Terry and I give, when we do it because it hurts a little, it causes us to become more dependent on the Lord and more thankful. But if we just give kind of the skim off of the top, you know, how does that really, how does that really honor God? And how does that really ever create in us a continued dependency upon his faithfulness in our lives. Giving money to the Lord is a touchy subject. There's a variety of opinions on how and how much, even some who think tithing is an outdated practice. Today, Pastor Gary doesn't want to mandate a way to give or an amount. He simply wants you to think about what giving is. Giving to the work of the Lord is a step of faith. You need to trust that He'll provide for you no matter what, in ways you probably can't even think of. Pray about how God wants you to stretch your faith with money and let Him surprise you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 20, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Messiah is not just genetically a descendant of David. Messiah is over David because Messiah is divine. Messiah is God. And isn't this what 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 tells us? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the God-man. He is fully God and he is fully divine. But they had limited him only to the idea of humanity. Remember when they, they mocked him and they said, isn't this just the carpenter's son? Is, and, and aren't his sisters here? They strictly saw him as somebody who was just human and they didn't recognize his divinity here. And he quotes this psalm to help them to realize from their own scriptures how it points to the fact that Messiah will not only be um, a descendant of King David, Uh, humanly speaking, but will be also divine as the Messiah. Well, verse 45 says that while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. You know, I just kind of keyed in on the verse 47 there, that they do it for a show. 
all this stuff, the flowing robes, and they love to be greeted in the marketplaces, and you know these long, lengthy prayers, and they were doing it all for show. And Jesus can see right into their hearts, and so it's a challenge to us. Listen, you know, just be sincere and real in your relationship with the Lord. Don't try to impress. Don't try to do stuff for a show. Just be real and honest and true, and that's what God honors. Not all of this showy stuff. Uh, let me read through chapter 21, uh, because this is an important chapter. Uh, l- let me first address this whole thing with the widow's offering, and then we'll get into the rest of chapter 21 is about the signs of the end of the age, and so some prophetic stuff throughout chapter 21. But first, he says here in, in chapter 21 that as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. King James Bible says mites. The widow's might. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let me just, you can, if you want to turn back, you can, but I just want to read also Mark's account, only a couple of verses, back in Mark chapter 12, um, just so we can compare the two accounts and get the full stories. You know, th- that's why we have four Gospels, right? Because the different writers give us different information so we can get the, the whole story. And Mark chapter 12, verse 41, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, two mites, Worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So Mark's gospel says that Jesus was sitting down. Uh, Luke's gospel says that he looked up, so he put the two together. So Jesus has positioned himself somewhere near where the treasury is received. Uh, what would happen in those days is that as you would get closer to the temple there on, on the Mount of Jerusalem, you would have to pass through certain courtyards. First, you'd pass through the court of the Gentiles. Then you would come to another entrance, and there would be a sign there that no Gentile can go past this without the possibility of death. They would limit the inner area of the courtyard just to the Jews. And then after the court of the Gentiles, you'd come to the court of the women. The women could not go further than the men in those days. So there was this kind of, you know, see it as like a couple of rings closer to the the temple itself. But in the court of the women were 13 coffers or treasury boxes or offering boxes. And each box had a specific designation, and I don't, I don't want to go into length about what each one was, but boxes 8 through 13 were for free will offerings. And you could bring you know, any amount uh, and drop them into one of those coffers, one of those treasury boxes. Jesus is sitting somewhere near these treasury boxes, there in the court of the women, and he's watching as people give. That's very challenging, isn't it? The idea that Jesus watches us when we give. And, uh, and he sees this dear woman. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us her name. The Bible doesn't even tell us her marital status. Um, Jesus knows this, and, and Jesus already comments on it, okay? So he, divinely understanding this, tells us she's a widow. And he also tells us she's put in everything. There's no other way we would know this. But here she comes with just a, a couple of copper coins, and she puts both of those things in. 
whereas other people were putting in their offerings, but in terms of the sacrifice, not nearly what this dear woman had put in, because she put everything she had to live on. You know, listen, generosity is not marked by the, it's not measured by the amount of money you give. It is measured by the sacrifice. That's, that's what the truth is. It, you know, God's not impressed by how much we give. What honors God is whether we give because it's just like fluff or we give because it's a matter of sacrifice. And there's something in the sacrifice that not only honors God, but pries us loose from the control that money often has in our lives. You know, some people, I don't at all want to be legalistic about giving. I think, it, you know, even the Bible says no one should give under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. So no one should ever feel manipulated or have to give under compulsion. I just know in my own life that when I give, and again, I'm saying this as a personal reference point, okay, this, you don't have to be convicted by this at all. I just believe that when I give, when we give, when Terry and I give, and we do it because it hurts a little, it causes us to become more dependent on the Lord and more thankful. But if we just give kind of the skim off of the top, you know, how does that really, how does that really honor God? And how does that really ever create in us a continued dependency upon his faithfulness in our lives? There's something here about this woman that teaches us the real measure of generosity, not so much in the amount, but in the sacrifice. She put in all that she had. Uh, The others gave out of their wealth. She, out of her poverty, put in all uh, that she had. Then Jesus here, from verse 5 through the end of the chapter, launches into what is commonly called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, This chapter here is also found even in more detail in Matthew chapter 24. And and as we start here in verse 5, and I'm just going to you know, make my way through it, because we've spent extensive amount of time in Matthew 24 talking about all these different signs of the times. But let's take a look here. Verse 5 says, Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. We talked a little bit about this last weekend and what the temple looked like and the gold and the Jerusalem stone. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down, a prophecy that was fulfilled in 70 AD when Titus Vespasian with the Romans came and destroyed the temple. And then they say, verse 7, teacher, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place. Now, pause there for a moment, because a a little disclaimer here. There are some people who read this chapter in much the same way that some people read Matthew chapter 24, and they will tell you that what Jesus is about to say here relates to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And that some people will say to you that these events that he talks about in the tribulation and these signs of the times really related only to the period of the Roman Empire, Nero... A.D. 64, 67, leading up to Titus, A.D. 70, when the Romans come in, the Jewish revolt. You can read Jewish history, Roman history, the Jewish revolt, and how uh, Josephus says that there were over a million Jews who were killed, slaughtered during the Jewish revolt. 97,000 Jews were taken into slavery by the Romans. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. The reason we know that's not what Jesus is talking about is because even though it starts that way, talking about how you won't see one of these stones on top of another. Okay, that starts with a reference to the Roman Empire coming in, destroying the temple. But when you read through the whole list, you get to just jump ahead to verse 27 real quickly and look at this. You get through the whole list 
And in verse 27, it says, at that time, they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when they see these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So Jesus makes it clear that the context of all these things he's going to enumerate here have to do with something more than just the Roman Empire coming in, destroying the temple in 70 AD. That these things are a forerunner, they are a harbinger of his second coming. Because he says, when you begin to see all these things, get ready, because I'm coming again. So lift up your head and look up, because your redemption draws near. Now, I'm going to give you the list right up front, and then I'm just going to read through the text. Luke is kind of an abridged version of Matthew. Again, Matthew enumerates a lot more. Luke kind of summarizes some of the main things. As we read through this, you're going to see these things. So let me just start here uh, in verse 8. Actually, before I do, let me quote from Matthew 24, because I want you to notice that Matthew captures the question of the disciples to be even larger than what Luke says that they asked, okay? Again, Luke says that they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Whereas Matthew tells us, Matthew 24, 3, their question was deeper. The disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay, so that puts things into better perspective that the things Jesus is talking about here, not really related exclusively to the Roman Empire coming in in 70 AD, has to do with his coming and the end of the age. So here we go in verse 8, back here in Luke 21, verse 8. He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars, And revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. So we have here false Christ, the warning that people are going to come along and say, hey, I'm the Messiah. Hey, he's like, don't be deceived. Okay, you'll know when I come back. There won't be any mystery. You'll know. Don't believe the ones who say, hey, I'm the Christ. He says in verse 10, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Here we have wars. There will be earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. So we have natural disasters like earthquakes, we have famine, we have disease. I read a statistic uh, from the World Health Organization that there are presently 805 million people in our world on the brink of starvation already. That's one out of nine people in the world. So it's very fragile and how many people can die from famine. Uh, When you think about pestilences, Luke mentions pestilence. You know, Luke is a doctor by trade, and he mentions here diseases. Matthew doesn't talk about the diseases. Luke mentions it. There's going to be pestilences. There's going to be diseases. Uh, And we're seeing around our world, we see epidemics, and we see pandemics. Okay, And some of these things, you know, I started making a list of the stuff that that used to scare us at the time, and then it kind of was replaced by something else. Do you remember the bird flu? We had the bird flu, and that actually got renamed to SARS later. Remember mad cow disease? Mad cow disease. Everybody afraid to eat hamburger 
Uh, and especially if you were in Britain. In fact, there's some folks in our own church I was talking to a couple of weeks ago who said they lived in Great Britain during that whole problem with mad cow disease. And as a result, just because they lived there, not that they ingested any of it, <laughs> or they probably wouldn't be around to tell us, but they said just because they lived there during the period of mad cow disease, they are forbidden forever from ever donating blood. Because there's that likelihood that there might be some, you know, you know, problems there in the bloodstream. They have a real hankering for Chick-fil-A, too. And I think it's strange. But anyway, <laughs> mad cow disease. And then more recently, Ebola in the United States. Now, that's still a very serious virus that is killing thousands of people in Africa. So I don't want to make light of it. But I remember, you know, how panicked we were at the time. Now things have kind of calmed down here. Of course, and then you had that really sassy nurse, remember, she didn't want to obey the quarantine in New Jersey, she lived in Maine or something, riding her bicycle, not being quarantined. But these things come and these things go. But look, part of this we have to recognize is going to be a sign of the end of the age. We are living in a day when doctors recognize now we have all of these uh, antibiotic-resistant bacterias. I was on a phone call today with a young man who emailed me because he heard me speak in downtown D.C. two weeks ago. He said, could you pray for my wife? I called him because I got this email. He says, could you pray for my wife? 32 years old, an athlete on life support system right now in an induced coma because she had like bronchitis-like symptoms, wasn't feeling very good, and then within about 48 hours is on a respirator because this virus had attacked her heart. I think it's called uh, myocarditis, which is a a virus that attacks the heart. Her heart is now working at 25%, and she's on life support. And their world has changed in 48 hours. The sad thing about this is that he says, I was married 10 years ago. My first wife went to the doctor because she thought it was a regular bladder infection turned out to be something a lot worse, and an infection spread into her kidneys, and she died. Her body went septic. And uh, so here he is in hospital again. By the way, his name is John. His wife's name is Amanda. Pray for them. Um, Because, you know, it's a serious situation. But, you know, I I was listening to that. I'm just like, you know, the bacteria and viruses and and the things that are in the world today, it's, it's here. And it can be scary. And uh, it's the world in which we live. Verse 12, Jesus says, But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in you being witnesses to them, so that part's a good thing. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. So we see here the persecution of Christians, even within families and households. I was talking to a guy, I was actually Skyping a guy in Kosovo today who's a new believer and his family is not. And um, he said, man, this tension, the disagreement and the conflict is here. And I said, uh, welcome to the words of Jesus. You will feel betrayed, um, brother against uh, parents, relatives and friends. It's part of, you know, living for Christ in general, sadly. 
Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. So we see armies advancing against Jerusalem. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So he talks about great distress. This is not a statement against the pregnant women or nursing mothers. He's just basically saying, you know, that's a difficult, if that's your your season of life and you're trying to run for your life in the midst of all this difficulty, it's going to be dreadful for you. Uh, he's talking here about the tribulation that will come upon the earth. It's recorded for us in Revelation chapter 6 through 18 and all of the events that happen there, the cataclysmic stirring of the earth that God is going to pour out upon the world so that people will have a final chance to accept him and receive him. But he ends this section here by saying that they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Right now, the Temple Mount area has been, since the days of the kings of Israel, been under the domination of Gentiles. Okay? Obviously, Muslims fall into that category of Gentiles, and they're the ones who have administrative control over the Temple Mount. But there will come a time, Jesus says here, when the Temple Mount area will no longer be under the control of Gentiles. It will go back into the hands of the Jews, and that predominantly is related to the fact that he returns. But he adds up, he continues to say here, let's just finish out the chapter. He says, there will be, verse 25, signs in the sun and moon and stars... On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. So there will be unusual events in the skies and seas. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told him this parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. Now, this is not a reference to Israel. He's saying in general, just look at trees, you know how it works. They go through seasons. He says, when they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Well, wait a minute, it's, these people have already died and these things haven't happened. The word generation there in the Greek is genos, translates race, race of people. In fact, your footnotes might say it, mine does, that it's a word that translates literally race of people. He's making a promise to the Jews. All this is going to happen, but the Jewish people will not pass away off the face of the earth. He says, verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, but my words will never pass away. Be careful. Your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Again, this isn't just a Roman Empire thing. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning. 
to hear him at the temple. Let's not let our hearts get weighed down, folks. There's a lot in our world that can be discouraging. ISIS and the advancement of Islamic terrorism and all this kind of stuff, disease and wars and rumors of wars. And We have to hold on to what he says here. When you see these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know.